good to see everyone. It's good to have a little bit of sunshine too, isn't it? After a little bit of, everyone's starting to look like a prune, and so it was good to get a little bit of the sunlight out there. A couple of weeks ago, we had, I think, a very amazing week of service and worship when we had our Apostello week. It was our second annual Apostello, and I thought it was um, a great success. The word Apostello means to send out, and it's the idea that God sends us out to serve people. And we start often with more the physical and emotional, and then we lead more to the spiritual. And that's always our kind of our, our hope anyway that it takes uh, that direction. But anyway, we were sent out in the community, and uh, there was uh, house painting. We did sandbags. Um, what else? I don't remember what else we did. But anyway, anything else I'm missing besides painting? Yard work. Okay, lots of yard work going on. And it's to people who were needy, people who really weren't able to provide those kinds of services on their own. Uh, there was um, a lot of really hard work. Uh, I was able to pitch in one morning, Thursday morning, and that's where I was just really impressed. And I have to say I was, I was pretty moved by all of these young people, our young people, joined by the young people from Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, from the Broadmoor Baptist Church. Uh, how they, they worked together so hard and so well, and yet still had fun with it. You know, they would laugh and have a good time, and yet they stayed with it day after day, and it was hard, uh, really yucky work. You know, we would do these when I was there, the fire line, you know, with the sandbags, and these bags, they had to be like from 45 to maybe 60, 65 pounds. They were, they were heavy, and yet, can we see that first slide there, Ethan? I mean, little gals like this, you know, taking those bags and uh, just having a really good time with it. I remember there's only one time there was kind of a break in my fire line when um, all of a sudden there's this big toad that jumped up out from under one of the bags. And um, so for about five minutes, you know, there was Jasmine. She just, just scooped that toad up, and then we had like a five-minute show and tell. And, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was all good. And uh, in fact, it was a good kind of a needed break. But I, as I said, I, I was, you know, there were mosquitoes that were out. Uh, everybody was tired, but they're laughing and, and just uh, really an amazing example of disciples of Christ at work. And that's kind of what we were all hoping that the neighborhood would see. And, of course, we did get a lot of media, co media coverage as well. I was especially appreci appreciative and thankful for, and I might say proud of, uh, our, our leaders here. Uh, Adam, of course, Adam led the Apostello. Uh, John David, uh, Nathan Stevens. Is Nathan here today? Nathan Stevens was our contact through Facebook. He had a Facebook page. Uh, it was called Missoula Flood Support. And John David had gotten in contact with him. And Nathan was very much an advocate for that whole neighborhood. Uh, he had done a lot of calling, even called the governor to get help for that neighborhood where people just didn't have the money to do it. And uh, then John David got in contact with Nathan, and it kind of went from there. But there was a lot of really incredible leadership. A lot of you uh, adults were also involved and, uh, from a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, I was just uh, couldn't help but be really proud and thankful and very grateful to all of you uh, for just an amazing, uh, amazing week. What I'd like to do in this lesson is put a little bit of uh, spiritual background behind it. What we did was entirely in keeping with 
what, with what God has wanted us to be. And there's a particular word from the Greek. I figure it's, it's appropriate. I mean, if we have apostello, a Greek word, then maybe there's another word we can use from the Greek to describe what we were, especially that week, and really what we are and are to be on a daily basis. And that is, I can get the word up here, and that's from the Greek text itself. It's uh, parakletos, parakletos. Uh, the pi or P would be a P, alpha is an A, rho is an R, A, uh, kappa is a K, lambda is an L, and then the eta is an E, T-O-S. So parakletos is the word I want us to kind of keep in, in mind throughout the lesson. That's what I'm going to say we are. Next slide here now, Ethan. Parakletos, uh, or paraclete. We are paracletes. The first word, uh, well, the meaning is to be called alongside. Anytime you see that para for a kind of a prefix, we have a lot of words like paramedic, you know, paralegal, parachurch, uh, paragraph. And it has the same idea of alongside, alongside of. And here, kletos is the meaning called, para called alongside. So that's what we were. We were called alongside, and specifically called alongside to help. It's a very biblical word. One of the main usages of the word, and what we were a lot last week, was uh, that of an advocate. Being an advocate is a paraclete. And uh, that's the idea of someone who has a certain strength that he's using in behalf of someone who is weak. An advocate, it might be an advocate in court. Uh, the CASA program is involved, uh, is, would come under that heading. But it's the idea of someone who is strong coming to the aid of someone who is weak. It's the idea of someone who has a certain supply providing that supply to someone who has a need. It's the idea of someone who has a voice speaking up for someone who has no voice. And I, by no voice, I mean someone that we've called often the marginalized, the poor, the destitute, often people who don't have rights, or at least their rights are not upheld. Uh, to be a paraclete means that we are a voice for those people. And so, uh, next slide here. Oh, well, actually, let's stay right here. The ultimate paraclete would be Jesus Christ. He is the one who is called alongside to help us. Now, I want to really keep before our minds this idea of strength for weakness, matching strength with weakness. In our case, at the spiritual level, Romans 5, 6, says that we were helpless. Christ died at the right time for us when we were helpless. We were in our sins, and there's nothing we could do about it. We couldn't, didn't have enough money to pay off our debt. We could not pay the penalty of our sins apart from just going to hell. Well, Jesus paid the price for us. He came with strength to help us in our weakness. In that same passage, he says we were separated from God. We were ungodly. And so we needed Jesus to be the one who would step up to the front for us. We needed him as our advocate. And so 1 John 2, 1 and 2, if we can go to the next slide too. Uh, I keep saying Ethan, Megan, sorry. <laughs> You don't look at all like him, right? I'll just say, I'll tell you. No, and that's, that's good. no. Uh, where's Ethan? Okay. First uh, John 2, 1 and 2. If anyone sins, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, that's parakletos. 
if anyone sins, and the Bible just made the point very clearly, we all sinned, we all sin. We have a paraclete, we have an advocate who stands in our place with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here's the strength that he brings to us. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is kind of a word we don't use every day, but it's the idea, I want you to think of substitute, a substitute. That is, he died in our place. He was our sacrifice for sins. That was a sacrifice that we couldn't provide. So where we had a weakness, Jesus came, sent from the Father, called alongside to help us, bringing a strength of his own body to die as a sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but he says also for the whole world. That lets us know that even as Christians, we still need the propitiation. We still need that advocate because we still mess up. We still sin. So those in the world, unbelievers, need that sacrifice. We need that sacrifice. And Christ has provided that strength uh, for us. Uh, Revelation 12.10 is very interesting along these lines. I love Revelation 12, especially because it's an opening up of the curtains. You know, Revelation has some really difficult stuff in it, a lot of symbolism that we always struggle with. But in Revelation 12, it's like the curtains to the spirit world are opened up. For us to see the real battle going on behind the Christians being persecuted by the Roman government. There are spirit powers, very real spirit powers at work there. And what he talks about there in, in this one place in verses 10 and 11 is Satan. And he's referred to as the one who accuses our brethren night and day. He's the one who stands before God, it says, and he accuses us because of our sins. It's like he's saying, so God, did you, it's like he's right there in God's face. Saying, did you see that part-time guy? Did you see what he did? Did you hear what he said? Did you, did you see what he thought? He has sinned. He deserves to die. He needs to go to hell. And that's what he's doing with all. Did you see what Brett did? You know. Did you see what Tom did? Did you see what David did? We all have sinned. And Satan is right in the face of God accusing us day and night. He has no rest. He's determined to take you and me to hell with him and everybody else. And yet here's Jesus, it goes on to say, it goes on, this is Revelation 12, 10. It says, and they overcame, that is, Christians overcame despite the accusations. Christians overcame because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. That is because of the, here's Jesus standing there as our advocate. Satan accuses Jesus, says, look at my hands. Look at the blood-stained hands. I paid the price for him and for him and her and her. Therefore, they live. <clears throat> Their sins are forgiven. They're righteous. I purchased them with my blood. So Christ brought to us his strength, taking care of a weakness that you and I never could have supplied. He is our paraclete. Next one. And then through him, the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, the same word, parakletos, is used of the Holy Spirit. And some have said, well, so which is it? Which is it? Is it Jesus the paraclete or is it the Holy Spirit? Well, keep in mind, God helps. And as we are paracletes, we help in different ways, different capacities. In John chapter 14, I'm just going to refer to a few verses here. I don't have them on the slide. In John chapter 14, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to leave his disciples. And he says at this point here, <clears throat> he says... Um, 
And I will ask the Father, this is verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And there's the word paraclete. I'm about to leave you, Jesus says, but I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I've asked the Father and, I'm, and he will give you another helper, paraclete, that he may be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. When we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And then Jesus, notice this. Jesus goes on to say, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How? In what form? I'm leaving. I'm going to be with the Father, but then I will come and be with you. How? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is his agent. You know, have you ever thought, well, I just really wish Jesus were with me here. I want him, you know, walking the streets with me and going to my house. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm doing that through the Holy Spirit. He's in my place. I will come to you through him. So Jesus is our paraclete through the Holy Spirit. Now, he helps us in lots of ways. In fact, he, he is the one, the Bible says, that, that transforms us from the inside out. He helps us in a lot of ways. But he is also someone who helps us in our prayers. And let's see, uh, I mean, Megan, sorry, Megan. Uh, the next one here, I'm going to get it right. By the time we're done, I'm going to have your name right. Okay. Um, let's see, was there one before that? Not? Uh, is there one Romans chapter 8? Do you see that anywhere? We might need to flip down to it. Is there? Okay, sorry. Uh, that's okay. If you don't find it, it's okay. Okay, all right, that's, that's okay. Uh, let me just read it to you. Romans chapter 8 talks about the Holy Spirit as our paraclete in our prayer life. Has anyone ever felt like they need help in their prayers? Have you ever been just really burdened and weighed down with something that's so heavy on your soul? And you can't even think of the words to say to pray to God. And maybe you even feel frustrated, and maybe because of that you don't even try to pray. Well, listen to what it says here. Romans 8, 26, and in the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness. You see, strength for weakness is our advocate, okay? He helps our weakness here, our weaknesses, not knowing how to pray when we get in those situations. He says, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. That is, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is able to communicate our thoughts, our needs to the Father without using words. The Holy Spirit does, does it with groans and sighs. D did you know that you can actually communicate with groans and sighs? Can't you? Can't you? Can you tell kind of what people are thinking when they groan and sigh? <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit himself groans and sighs in our behalf as we call upon, uh, call upon him to help us in our prayers. Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. So I want to challenge you, whenever you're, you're praying for something, and you don't even know what words to use, just say, Spirit, help me. Help me as my intercessor. Communicate to the Father for me what I'm trying to say, what I'm feeling, and what my need is. And he says he does that. He is our strength and our weakness of prayer. He is our advocate. He is our paraclete. So that same pattern, strength to match a weakness. 
Okay, Megan, let's see. Now, I'm going to go to various needs that we have that are served, and uh, here we're getting to human needs. That is, and, and watch for this, we are paracletes because actually that role has been passed down to us by the Father. God is the ultimate, through Jesus Christ, the paraclete, called alongside to help us. He sends the Holy Spirit as a paraclete. Then the Holy Spirit and Christ send us. And in this first case, even government is to serve, that's God's will, government is to serve as a kind of paraclete for people. Right? And that's what we see here in Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. This is King Lemuel from the Proverbs. Uh, his mother is talking to him here. You know, Solomon says, listen to your dad and listen to your mom, too. Right? Here's a good example of that. So this mother says to King Lemuel, and I get the impression it's right as he begins to reign. She says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. When he says open your mouth, or what does she mean, what does she mean by that? Open your mouth for the mute. Yeah, do what? Yeah, speak for her. Speak up for them. Stand up for them. Speak up for them because they don't have a voice. Politically, they don't have a voice. Often even just because they get demoralized at times, they have no voice. So you speak up for the voiceless. You be a voice for them. Judge righteously. And so, under so many governments, even today, a lot of poor people do not receive any rights at all. Their needs aren't met. Money talks. There are a lot of governments say, just listen to the rich. And so he's saying, you be a voice for them. And this is a charge primarily that rulers have. They may not understand it, but God has charged rulers, first of all, whether kings, presidents, or whoever, has charged them, first of all, with using their authority not to dominate, but use their authority to serve and to serve even those who are who are the marginalized, the ones who are suffering the most, the ones who are needy the most. Let's go to the uh, next one, Megan. Uh, this is Job. Uh, I love this passage here. Job says, uh, and keep in mind, Job's been accused of being a sinner, and that he said, you're suffering, Job, because you're a sinner. So Job is saying, no, I'm not practicing sin. In fact, I practice righteousness. And as he's talking about the righteousness that he practiced, he said this, look, from my youth, from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. And from my mother's womb, I guided the widow. In other words, he's saying, from the time I was a, a young guy, and think of someone maybe an early teenager. He says, I've looked for people who, who needed my help. Orphans in particular, the fatherless. Not having a father, it meant that they often didn't have any kind of income. And it meant, too, that they didn't have protection. They didn't have guidance. And so he said, from the time I was very young, I've been conscious of those who have, who have a certain need, and I've done my best to meet that. To the fatherless, I've been like a father to them. I've protected them. I've spoken up for them. I've defended them. I've guided them. I've advised them. In other words, a paraclete. He said, I've been a paraclete to those who are in need. From my mother's womb, and by the way, that's a very popular Jewish idiom. Uh, he's saying, actually, from the time I was a zygote, <laughs> I've been taking care of widows. That's obviously a hyperbole. But he's making the point that all my life, I've tried to help people, in particular the widows, 
Uh, widows back here were very, very vulnerable. They still are, I think, in many ways today. And he's saying widows who often leaders and others try to take unfair advantage of, I defended them. I spoke up for them. I advised them however I could. In fact, have you guys seen the movie Places in the Heart? Places in the Heart? It's a good example. Yet, 1984 it came out. Sally Field, Danny Clover. You need to see it if you haven't seen it. Anyway, it's a very good example of this. Because here's Sally Field, her husband who had been a sheriff was shot and killed. And so she's a widow. They've got a farm and she's got a farm cotton. And right off the bank, you know, here's these ugly guys, these vultures moving in. The bank tries to take her place away from her. And uh, after she, she gets Danny Glover, this, this guy who's a black guy who's been just kind of a field worker. He'd been kind of moving around and asked if he could help out. And so he ended up growing a crop for her. And as she is face-to-face uh, -face with a cotton buyer, he's trying to take unfair advantage of her. He's trying to basically rob her. And Danny is, you know, guiding her. He's advising her all along. Uh, that's the idea of being an advocate. Uh, he had a strength in an area where she was weak. Now, she, in many ways, had a stronger position than he did. But when it came to wisdom and experience, he was in a position of strength and she was in a position of weakness. And we're going to see that, that it changes. You're an advocate in one thing and maybe you're a receiver of that help in another situation. And we need to always be willing to be both an advocate and an advocatee. Advocatee? I don't know if there's a word, but we're going to make one up. Okay, sounds good. You know what I'm talking about. All right, so Job was a paraclete. Next one, Megan. Psalm 82, kind of summing up. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. That is, speak up for them. Be sure they get justice in the courts is the idea. Be sure they get the justice due to them. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Delivery, uh, delivering them from the hand of the wicked. Rescue the weak. Now, in a physical way, that is kind of what an apostella was doing a couple of weeks ago. And yet, I'm, I'm thinking it will eventually become even a spiritual rescue. But we were helping people out who couldn't do it themselves. They couldn't move the sand in. They couldn't move it out. And they couldn't afford to have their houses fixed up. So we moved in to be their strength, to rescue them in that sense. Okay, next one. Emotional needs. As I said, there's so many ways that we find ourselves in need and we find people who are in need. This area here will probably touch on everybody, though. We are to be paracletes for emotional needs, even among ourselves. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, uh, God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And you see how this gets back to God being the first paraclete? And he passes it on down to us. He was our paraclete comforting us when we were in affliction. And then we are to take that same comfort that he gave us and pass it on to others as they are in affliction. Uh, pay it forward, we say. God wants us paying it forward. We got it from God. Pay it forward to others. I like the word affliction here. It's such a relevant word. The, the Greek word is to be pressed together. To be pressed together. Do you ever feel like your life is in a pressure cooker? <laughs> you know, for a visual of this, I could, 
help but think back to Star Wars. You know, the first uh, episode of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia have been captured. I think they're in the Death Star space station, and they've been thrown into this garbage dump, you know. Do you guys remember in the, and the, the walls are coming in, getting ready to crush them? Sometimes that's what we feel like, and that's the picture of this word here. It's being in a situation where we feel like we're under this burden that's about to crush us. Or we have this problem and this problem, and they're both coming in on us at the same time. That is the picture here. It might be a health problem, a health issue that's weighing on us. It might be a career problem. Maybe we lost our job. It might be a family problem. Maybe a, a parent or a child, a sibling, uh, has had some kind of problem. And it's, we can't help but be concerned about it. I mean, all of these concerns are crushing in on us at one time. We're in a pressure cooker. He's saying, watch for those situations and be a paraclete to one another, passing on to them the comfort you got from God. All the blessings of God are to be passed on to others, right? And so he's saying comfort is one of those things. So, so we are to be an advocate for one another when we see that someone among us is suffering in some way. Now, sometimes we're going to feel even kind of helpless that way, but we can always put them in God's hands. We can express empathy. We can say, look, I love you, and I care. I, I feel helpless, but I care about you. I love you, and you're in my prayers. And whatever I can do to relieve whatever pressure it is, I want to do that. So that's some of that comfort we pass on to them. It's comfort that God has first given to us. The next one, Megan. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5.14. Again, we have being a paraclete for emotional needs. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak, Paul says as he ends that letter there. Encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted here are people who, who as a Christian, they're living in just a very difficult environment. Uh, and even today, you know, there, sometimes at work or at school, you are maybe put down for your faith. And I think that's especially the context. Where being a Christian costs you something. Being a Christian means that people maybe make fun of you. And they, uh, they undermine you. They mock you. And so what happens is we get to where, where we feel a little uh, timid, a little fearful. And we're afraid to speak up. And we're afraid to even live the life of a Christian. In fact, we find ourselves being pulled more and more to live like the worldly people around us. Because then they won't make fun of us. And who knows, maybe we even will feel like it's more cool to do that anyway. The faint-hearted, the timid, the weak, spiritually, he's saying. Encourage them. And uh, this is one of those words that has a para in front of it. Para methelmai alongside what he's saying here's the picture here's the picture coming alongside each other kind of the arm around the other person and you talk to them from that position of closeness and intimacy it's not preaching at them it's not pointing the finger at them it's with your arm around them speaking to them from the heart to encourage it might mean to console it might, mean, it might be to admonish. By the way, what does admonish mean? We see the word a lot in Scripture. To admonish means what? I may have heard it. What? 
Uh, no, actually, actually, it's, it's uh, proactive. It's to warn, to warn. To say, look, what you're doing is going to get you in trouble. Not just with, you know, people in your world, but with God. It's warning about a certain conduct to say, if you get involved in that, there's going to be problems. This word takes in all of that to encourage paramutheomai, arm around them, maybe not physically, but at least your relationship is to be close. And you are to, we're to strive to develop those relationships so that from a position of intimacy, we can talk straight to one another to help each other out. Help the weak. <clears throat> help the weak. The weak here would be those who are morally and spiritually weak. That is, they are the ones who really are being tempted to fall back into the world. They really are being pulled back. And so you approach them. And I really like this word help because it's, it's in the Greek it's very uh, uh, visual kind of thing. It means to, it's kind of the idea of standing face to face with someone <clears throat> who is about to fall and you hold them. You hold them tightly. In fact, uh, where I work at Village, we uh, will often do that with the residents. Say we're going to transfer them from their wheelchair to the bed. And if, if I don't have a gate belt, I literally put my arms around them, have them put their arms on my shoulders, and I, I pick them up, and I do, have them do a little shuffle, and then put them on their bed. And the point being to hold them tight. Don't drop them. Don't do a catch and release, right? <laughs> not good, not good. No catch and release. It's the idea of stay with them, hold them tight, don't drop them, stay with them, help the weak. The morally weak don't just say, well, that's what they want to do, let them go. No, no, go to them, tell them you love them, hold on to them, don't give up on them, pray for them, help the weak, be a paraclete to the weak, be a paraclete to the faint-hearted. And then comfort those who are grieving. You know, there's different kinds of mourning. When we use the word grief, and you probably already know this, but you're always talking about mourning for a loss. Someone suffered a loss. That's the particular kind of, of mourning that we have uh, when, when we talk about grief. Somebody suffered a loss. It might have been one of their loved ones died. It might have been the loss of their health. It might have been a loss of their job, a loss of their house. We had all the flooding. There were people who lost their houses and it made me sick at my stomach to see some of those houses. What incredible loss. And I know they grieved and others grieved for them. We are to comfort those who have suffered loss. Those who are grieving, hurting for a loss. We are to comfort them. And, of course, what that means is we are their paraclete. That is, we, again, pass on to them the comfort God has given us. We tell them, you know, I, I don't really know exactly what you're feeling. I know you hurt. And I want you to know that I love you. I love you. Whatever you're going through, I care about you, and I'm praying to God for you. Be a paraclete to those who have suffered a loss. Next one. A paraclete to our children. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe that's mostly what we think about. 
The Bible describes us as parents, and he's addressing fathers here, but mothers would be right there with him. There are three terms here I really like. Paul says we were, and he's talking about how he had been like a spiritual father to the church there at Thessalonica. But as he says that, he compares it to a literal father. And he says, we were exhorting, and there's that word parakaleo, we were a paraclete to you. We were encouraging, there's that paramutheo Maya was talking about a while ago, it's used here. And we were imploring, it's the word testifying or witnessing to, each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God. Several decades ago, it was very common for fathers to have more of a formal relationship with their kids. I've even seen fathers not that long ago. Kid comes up, been gone for a long time, and extends the hand. Welcome back, son. Kid was only a teenager. <laughs> what is that? These words, look at the para. There's the arm. Paramitheomai. Parakaleo. It's intimacy, it's closeness. We were exhorting, urging you to live the way you should live, but from a standpoint of closeness as your paraclete. We were directing you, we were admonishing you, uh, consoling you, comforting you, paramitheomai, from a position of closeness. We were testifying to you, literally the Greek says, now, that's really interesting to me because it's translated to implore, to charge. But I think that basic idea of testifying is still there. What would a father testify to his kids? Well, he'd testify, first of all, of what he knows about God's Word. He would say, look, I know that God says this, and, and as, as we're trying to counsel our kids, we're testifying to our kids what we know about God's will to encourage them to live according to that will. We're also testifying about our own experiences. As parents, we generally have some wisdom gained from experiences that our kids haven't had. And so with our arm around them, we're testifying to them. Look, here's what God's Word says. Or, or let me tell you about an experience I had and what I learned from that. And therefore, here's what you should do or, or shouldn't do. You see the closeness there. As a parent, you are a strength to your kids in these ways, at least. You come alongside them. But it's not from a distant relationship. It's from a close relationship. And I'm very thankful that really times have changed, that fathers, it's, it's a cool thing for fathers to be really close to their kids now, not have that distant formal relationship that was so common in uh, decades gone by. Next one. And we are to be paracletes for the spiritually lost. That is, we have a, a strength that God calls upon us to use for people's weakness. And here the weakness they have is they're lost. Because of their sins, they're separated from God. Paul says here, we therefore are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? Someone give me a synonym. Ambassador is a representative. a representative. Good, yeah. Representative, an ambassador to a foreign country, represents us, represents our government. 
So we, he says, are ambassadors of God. He's the supplier again. He's, and, and he's a paraclete, and he works through us as paracletes, our intercessors here. And he says, here, here's a world that's lost around us, lost in sin. And God desperately wants to save them. And yet, God, what he has done is he, has, he employs you and me as his agents, as his ambassadors, sent by him from heaven to go to people who are lost around, around us, lost in their sin, and say, you know, God loves you, and I love you. And, and the Bible says that you have sinned, and you're lost, you're condemned. And the Bible says your only hope is Jesus Christ, who died for you. And through faith in him, through trusting him and obeying him, you have your sins forgiven. And you can be righteous and have the hope of heaven. That's being a paraclete to the lost. And, and as apostello, that is our ultimate goal, isn't it? I mean, we really are wanting to help people beyond just getting a sandbag, you know, out of their yard. That helps them for now, but what about after this life? And even in this life, there's spiritual help from God. Our goal always will be to connect with people spiritually. Now, that means that as we have contact with people, helping them, for example, as we do through Apostello, that means that we're always praying for God to work through us as his agent. It'd be a good idea, and maybe you already do this, but every day before you go to work or to school or wherever you might go, every day begin with prayers to God for God to use you as his paraclete to someone who is lost. Pray for God to use you. And then look for opportunities. Look for doors to open. Look for people to say things that could be an opening for you to talk to them about spiritual things. Be prepared. We need to be prepared. We need to be able to go to Scripture and show why people are in sin and what they need to do to be saved. Be prepared. And then when the door opens, have the courage with wisdom to walk through the door and say something to them to express God's love for them in a way that leads them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's being a paraclete. God has sent you and me with this strength. Now, I think sometimes it's easy for us to feel like maybe it's not that strong after all. We see so many people that don't seem to be that interested in the gospel. And sometimes maybe it, help, it causes us to even devalue the gospel a little, bit, a little bit ourselves. Maybe we ourselves feel like, well, maybe the gospel isn't, maybe something's wrong with it. Maybe it's not as strong or needed as much as I, I thought it was. Maybe people can somehow get by by just being good people. Have you ever felt that way? I think in some of my times of weakness, I've kind of prayed that, that God, I know they're not Christians, but, you know, they really are good people. And yet the Bible says we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our goodness. It won't do it. And so we, we, we pray to God to work through us as his ambassador. And then we watch that. But, but we need to be fully convinced. You know, Paul said that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God. And you guys who heard me preach a lot know that I always bring out the word dunamis. The Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. The gospel is the dynamite of God to save people from their sins through faith in Christ. Let's never forget that. 
The gospel is powerful. And keep in mind, too, as we try to reach people with the gospel, we're not working by ourselves. We're enlisting God's help in all of this. God can still tender hearts. He can still touch hearts to work with us in the spread of the gospel. Okay, next one. Oh, next one. <laughs> well, how about that? Okay. Well, shoot, I still got 30 more minutes here. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> So God is the paraclete working through us. Pay it forward. That's one of the things I still want, I want us to really keep in mind. We are to pay it forward. There's one other thing before we close, and that's what's called being, uh, it's reciprocal. I mentioned it a while ago. Uh, listen to what Paul said. This had to do with a situation where there were poor Christians, and uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians to raise money to take to the poor Christians in Judea. Listen to what he says here. He says, for this is not for the ease of others or for, and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. How about that? That's what I was saying a while ago. Sometimes you're the advocate. Sometimes you're the advocatee. Sometimes you're the giver of the strength. Sometimes you're the receiver of the strength. And sometimes it's hard to be the receiver. But in this matter of being a paraclete, that's the way God has set it up to be. So again, God wants us to be paracletes, called alongside to help. Para, alongside, kletas, called. Called alongside to help. We are to match our strength, whatever it might be, to someone else's weakness. We are to match our supply, which God has given us, to the need of others. We are to match our voice to those who have no voice. Paracletes. Let's bow. Holy Father, we thank you for the loving God that you are. And Father, I thank you for this church here, for the hearts that we have among us that really do love others and that has been shown in so many ways. Father, help us to truly be your paracletes in every way. Help us to give to others the strength and the blessings that you give to us. And through all of this, we pray that we might help cultivate stronger relationships with you and with one another in Christ. And we pray especially that we could reach those who have no relationship with you. We pray that they might come to know Jesus through the gospel and realize the salvation and realize that eternal hope that we have only in Christ. Father, I pray your blessing upon everyone here. We pray that you bless John David as he's down south. Uh, bless his efforts. Uh, keep him safe. And bring him safely back to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.